Hi, everybody. This is Jeannie Faulkner, and you're listening to Common Sense Pregnancy, Parenting, and the Power to Change the World. I'm the author of Common Sense Pregnancy, published by Penguin Random House, 10 Speed Press, this summer, and Fit Pregnancies, Ask the Labor Nurse blog. I think that among the most difficult days of my life were the days when I inevitably returned to work as a nurse after having a baby. That day was the hardest when I had my first daughter, even though I was leaving her in my sister's loving care. Hard, hard, hard. Also kind of exhilarating to go back to work, not going to lie. It was great to go back hanging out with other nurses and my friends. It was great to be using another part of my brain and a different skill set. It was great to be back to something normal, even though once you're a mom, you wonder if anything will ever be normal again. I know a couple of new moms who are teetering on either side of that day. One woman has recently gone back to work, and she's really struggling to keep it all together. Pumping, breastfeeding, sleep-deprived, anxious, missing her daughter to bits. She is, however, doing a really great job of being a mom, employee, co-worker, and partner. She doesn't feel like she is, but from my perspective, she's killing it. Another young woman I know is going back to work after three months at home with her son. Um, I think she goes back in about, oh gosh, a week. And she's going through a really hard time of it. How do you leave the baby you've spent every moment with before this? My heart goes out to her, as do the hearts of countless mothers who have stood in her shoes. It's a hard bridge to cross, no matter if you want to work or have to work. And it's even harder when you're breastfeeding and need to accommodate pumping during your workday. Some companies make it relatively easy for new moms to manage all that, but other companies downright don't. I wrote in my book, Common Sense Pregnancy, in Chapter 16, a section called Feeding Your Baby. It's titled Pumping, Dumping, Storing, and Freezing Your Breast Milk. Maybe you're making more milk than your baby needs, or you want to store some for date night. Maybe you're pumping at work so your nanny can feed your baby. Maybe you're ready for a party, a glass of wine, but you don't want your baby to partake. Maybe you make enough milk to feed a small village and you want to donate to the milk bank. Whatever the reason, pumping breast milk is in your future. It's entirely possible to express all the milk you want just by using your own hands. It's not that hard to learn. Any mom can do it. And mothers throughout history all over the world have hand-expressed and done just fine. When the portable breast pump was invented sometime in the mid-19th century, however, and later, when modern refrigeration was invented, women realized that a good breast pump made the job easier, faster, and more comfortable and practical. The ability to store breast milk meant for the first time in history, breastfeeding mothers had the ways, means, and freedom to spend a few hours away from their baby without needing a wet nurse. The first breast pump models were big and clunky and found only in hospitals. For the last 40 years or so, they've been available for rent or purchase and have become part of many nursing mothers' arsenal. Nowadays, they're sleek, lightweight, crazy efficient, and they travel well in a tote bag, and they empty a breast at warp speed. Okay, actually, in about 10 minutes, but still, that's pretty good. Even better, the Affordable Care Act mandates that insurance providers have to cover breast pumps and breastfeeding supplies for all nursing mothers. Okay, I'm going to leave it there. You can read the rest of that section if you've got the book. Um, I also wrote a section titled How to Work in Breastfeed later in that chapter. I'm going to read just a little bit from that. Returning to work and continuing to breastfeed is 100% possible as long as you have a few supplies, the support of your employer, and a place to pump. 
As soon as your pregnancy is official at your workplace, start the conversation with your human resources manager or boss about how you'll be breastfeeding at home and pumping at work. If you're lucky, your company will already have well-established policies in place and you won't have to be a breast pump pioneer. If you're the first, here's what you need to know. So I'm gonna spell it out in that chapter, but today I wanna talk to a woman who is um, an expert on this subject and others. She totally gets what I'm talking about here. Jessica Shortall. She's recently written a book that will soon be considered the book for women returning to work while breastfeeding. She's also recently given a really inspiring TED Talk that I want you to know about. Let's get Jessica on the phone. Hi, Jessica. How are you? I'm great. How are you? I'm good. I'm glad we have an opportunity to talk again. I'm really excited about your book and your TED Talk. And Jessica Shortall is the Managing Director for Texas Competes the first statewide business coalition dedicated to promoting and advancing the business and economic case for fair treatment for lesbian, gay, bisexual, and transgender workers, families, customers, and visitors. She was also the director of social innovation for Tom's Shoes and was the first hire dedicated to leading strategy and implementation for the brand's one-for-one mission. It was during her time at Tom's Shoes that Jessica became the first pregnant employee, and she helped map out strategies to make pregnancy, motherhood, breastfeeding, and work a success. And that's what led Jessica to writing her new book, Work, Pump, Repeat, The New Mom's Survival Guide to Breastfeeding and Going Back to Work, which she says was inspired by her own experiences of literally circumnavigating the globe with a breast pump. Since then, Jessica has also given a brilliant TED Talk in Texas on the case for paid maternity leave in the U.S. She's a writer, speaker, feminist, and outspoken voice for women's and human rights. And I'm privileged to have you here today to talk about all that and more, Jessica. I don't even know how that sounds cooler than I actually am. I know, but but that's super excited to be here. (laughs) That's your bio, baby. (laughs) So, Jessica, you and I came together because... Obviously, we both have new books out that yes. I think we both came to writing our books because, in part, we wanted to change the conversation on how women experience pregnancy and motherhood. Um, we both take a little bit of a feminist take. We both talk about some things that we have not found as part of the conversation in other books and in other platforms. And let's start off with, you know, talking about your book. Why did you feel like you had to write it? Yeah, I mean, you know, I had this baby who is now five and a half and currently at his kindergarten. and Which is um, unreal in and of I know. itself, right? I know. That that whole thing is super weird. Um, and I just, I, I thought, I have this whole stack of books next to my bed. I'm a, you know, super type A planner and reader and researcher of every nanosecond of my pregnancy and how to give birth and how to everything. But this thing was one of the most anxiety-inducing and producing things in my life at that time, in part because of the totally crappy approach to maternity leave in this country that, you know, the company I worked for had, by American standards, very generous policy. I took 12 weeks off with my first child. Um, 12 paid weeks? uh, You know, it's so long ago that I can't remember. At least most of it was paid. I'm not, I, I, I actually, this is mom brain. Anyway, most of it was paid, if not all. Uh, and that was Tom's was a really small company at the time. 
Um, and so I, I think it's even gotten better since then, but I don't know. Anyway, uh, and I thought, well, but this, this is awful. I'm going to be, I assume, a wreck going back to work. I'm going to be exhausted. I'm going to be trying to prove to myself and everyone around me that I'm back at work, you know, back in quotes. Um, and then I'm going to be also um, producing food for my baby a few times a day. Somebody must have written that down. And I couldn't find what I needed. I, I found things that said, you know, make sure you get through airport security. And I was just like, what? But but how? What do yeah. I say? Yeah. You know? And so I needed that. I also needed the kind of moral support. It, it was such an isolating experience. You know, you're literally isolating because you're locking yourself away in closets and bathrooms and whatever. Um, and I I just wanted to kind of give that, you know, the me that, that didn't have that. It was sort of, you know, giving it to myself when I needed the guide. But give it to future mother, working mothers, a sense of community of I spent five years interviewing other working mothers, hundreds of them. I wanted to be able to share their stories so that, the, you know, somebody picking up their book and reading it doesn't feel so alone, um, but also felt totally equipped. You know, I, I can never make pumping at work fun because that's not that will never happen. <laughs> but but making it doable and survivable and one less thing to be in an absolute panic about. Yeah. What I like about your book is that it covers so many different facets of why breastfeeding and returning to work is so darn complicated. Mm -hmm. And, you know, for people who haven't been there and done that, or, you know, and sat in a closet or in their car with a breast pump attached to their chest, they really have no way of understanding what you have to go through. And I, I love that your book includes the voices of so many women. So tell me a little bit about how you found those women and how those conversations came to be. Well, I just really was just kind of going to my networks of I've moved around enough that I have friends all over the country and in many different parts of the world. Um, and so um, a lot of it was just going to them. And I found at first I was getting like a million lawyers to interview because I have a couple lawyer friends and all their friends were willing to do it. And so I had to start being more intentional and in saying, Hey, does anybody know any teachers that would talk to me about this? Does anybody know any, you know, people working in a in a kind of on your feet all day job? And I, to be honest, it is it is more of a white collar book. And in part of that is that's who I had easier access to. In part of it, it's um, huge part is that that although there's not great data on this by job type, um, my assumption and, and and I believe it bears out is that that women working in in pink collar and blue collar roles are not pumping at work and not breastfeeding as long as their white collar counterparts, because it's just too damn hard. It's just, you know, I heard for over and over from women in every profession, every type of profession that they quote failed at, at breastfeeding once they went back to work because they had to supplement over time with formula or because they had to ended up giving up breastfeeding altogether or lost their supply, um, milk supply that they failed. And the thing that I just ended up going back to all of them and saying is you didn't fail. The system failed you. Everything about this, the culture, the system, the lack of paid leave, the the kind of mechanization of becoming a parent where we just assume that none of those things that have been true for all of human history, that those things aren't true anymore, that there doesn't need to be time to bond and heal, that, you know, that, that we can just kind of pump this milk out and get on with the work day and whatever. All of that has failed the woman who thinks that she's the one that failed. Right. Um, anyway, that, sorry, I got off track, but, well, you're um, not off track. It's as if, you know, women are expected to go through this outrageous life transformation of becoming a mother. They get this 
ridiculously short window of time that they're, you know, able to stay home with this child. During that time, they're going through roller coaster hormone changes. And then, you know, before you know it, you have to go back to work. And as you said, you have to be back getting there, you know, hitting all the targets, doing everything you're supposed to do. And at the same time, figure out how to feed your baby while you're not even with the baby. Right. Yeah. I, I saw this astonishing quotation from uh, today on my Instagram feed from a, a woman named Annabelle Crabb. She's, I didn't know who she was. She's an Australian journalist, covers politics. But she said, I'm going to read it to you. The obligation for working mothers is a very precise one. The feeling that one ought to work as if one did not have children while raising one's children as if one did not have a job. And that was just like a punch to the gut for me. That's right. totally what it feels like. Right. I know. It really does. You're supposed to be 100% there for each of these essential roles in your life. Mm -hmm. We do very little to support mothers to integrate those lives, which is cruel. It's cruel, I think. Yeah. 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 And to honor to honor that role. I mean, I, I, I'm, I'm a very driven, you know, working person and, and could never imagine myself just, you know, not doing that. Mm -hmm. And everybody's different on that front. But I think I, the, the, the longer I'm going through life and the more women I talk to and dads that, you know, parents I talk to, I think we've just stopped honoring in our political climate. We talk about how much we value family, everybody falling all over themselves to, to sort of outdo each other on how much we value family but we don't we don't honor it at all anymore. We don't honor even the very start of of a family um, because that's just too that's too much of an inconvenience. And you know, we the the message is, and it's it's amazing to me how internalized it has become. How much I hear it from from everyday people that that economically it couldn't work. The argument that you always get back on paid leave is, what about small business owners? It people have internalized it so much because they've heard it so much that a small business would fold. Um, except that every other country but nine on the planet has some sort of universal paid parental leave. The only So it's the United States that doesn't at 320 million people. The next biggest country is Papua New Guinea with 7 million people. And the, and the, and the um, I've lost my math. Seven after that are, are, are Suriname and then a handful of Pacific Island nations. All with much smaller. Like Tonga. Right. Smaller populations, yeah. smaller economies. Yeah. I mean, microscopic economies. Every other economy developed and developing on the planet has made it work, including for their small businesses. Right. Europe. Um, California has a, has a minimal paid leave scheme, but yeah. it's, it's you know, and 90% of businesses say that they see neutral or positive impact. And actually that, that skews stronger towards small businesses. So it's it's a lie that we've been told so many times that we've started to say it back to each other. So this is a point that I want to nail down hard with the hammer because so many people don't realize this. The U.S. is the only industrialized country in the world that does not provide paid maternity leave for women. Correct. The only one. The only one. Yeah. Now, some women do get you know, I get, there's a guaranteed maternity leave. I mean, you're, we do have laws on the book that protect well, you from actually losing your job. Well, they do, but they don't work. Not FMLA, well. the, the, the Family Medical Leave Act, was a huge step forward. But it, it ended up being compromised down so much that only half of working women are eligible for FMLA. 
So that that's for unpaid leave. That's 12 weeks in a year of protected job, but you don't get paid a cent and you have to, you know, then you pick up all of your insurance premiums that your employer normally would have paid. So it, you're, you're not only not making money, but you're on a greater level out of pocket. So most women can't even afford, if they are eligible, don't take that full 12 weeks because they can't afford it. Right. They end up taking two or four or six weeks. So it's only half of women that are eligible for unpaid leave. And you know that skews toward low-income women and therefore women of color. So they're being disproportionately um, left out of this. And that's because FMLA has all kinds of exceptions. Small businesses are exempt. If you haven't been at that job full-time for 12 months, then you're not eligible. So, you know, in an economy where we're very mobile and move around and maybe a spouse's job brought you somewhere, when maybe you're a military spouse and now you're in a new place, if you just have switched jobs in the past, you know, 12 months or or you or you will have been there for 12 months, but then your baby's premature and you're a month shy of 12 months, then you're not eligible. So that's so half many, of women. So many loopholes, so many yeah. ways to screw women out of the support that they need. And then we say, well, we hear all the time the market will solve this. And I am a, I am a capitalist. I believe, you know, that the means of production should be privately owned, et cetera, et cetera. But the market cannot solve every problem. We, well, I don't know why we have one big hammer to hit everything with. Right. You know, there's different tools for different things. In, on the paid leave front, only 12% of, of working women in the United States have access to any one minute of paid leave. 12%. Yeah. So that leaves 88% out in the cold. And you know, again, who's who is getting that paid leave is the women who need it the least. Right. The it's, women it's, who are making it's the women most like money. you and me. Right. Yeah. Right. Although yeah. when I was raising my babies, I worked as a nurse and I did not have paid leave. Oh, so you leave. didn't. Yeah. No. I, I was able to accrue, you know, vacation time and work time, um, you know, sick time, those right. kinds of things. Cobbled it together. Cobbled it together. But um inevitably with each of my pregnancies I ended up just going for weeks and weeks without a paycheck and staying home as long as I possibly could and then returning to work on the night shift because oh my gosh yeah you know I'd have you know I I do have several kids and sometimes I'd be going back to work and I'd work from 7 p.m to 7 30 a.m come home nurse a baby get a couple of you know grade schoolers off to school come home sleep as long as I possibly could get up you know it was just craziness gosh. craziness because you know, I was contacted the other day by a woman who's six months pregnant with her first child. She works in a one of those high tech industries that that politicians always talk about as the future of the American economy. Mm-hmm. So she's an important worker, and she's in a managerial role. Um, but she she doesn't get any paid leave. It's a small company, and they're they're going to let her take unpaid leave, even though she's not eligible for FMLA because the company's so small. Mm-hmm. So they're going to let her. Um, but she only has enough in her savings to fund two weeks off, which didn't surprise me, sadly, anymore, because um, 23% of, of new working mothers in America are back on the job within two weeks of giving birth. Two weeks. So they're still bleeding, you know. Right. Um, it, so anyway, she, she only had enough for two weeks, and she thought that's not going to be enough. I need more time with my baby. So she has now taken a night job on top of her full-time day job. This is her first child. She's taking a night job doing eight-hour shifts on her feet at a casino um, where mama. smoking is permitted. So oh, she's mama. Sur- yeah, yeah. Yeah, there's stories Just like broke this all my over heart. America. It's- yeah, but they're totally invisible. Yes, they are. Now, when you and I have spoken before, you have told me that postpartum anxiety was huge for, for you. And 
I love that you're saying it out loud. I was super anxious with my first baby too, and I had a period of adjustment with each of my kids that involved some level of anxiety, and it almost always had to do with the back-to-work scramble. So, of course. Yeah. I mean, statistically, women are more likely to, to suffer from a postpartum mood disorder if they don't have at least 12 weeks leave. The ra- it, it rates go way up. Of course they do. Yeah. Yeah. Of course they do. Yeah. There's a ton of stigma associated to it. The thing that I found that really freaked me out was that that you in popular culture, I think you see and hear a lot about um, postpartum depression. Mm-hmm. So all of the stereotypes are, you know, that you are crying all the time and you're listless and you're not interested in the baby. And that didn't look anything like me, like anything like what I was experiencing. I was, you know, on the manic end of that. Yeah, I was barely sleeping and and yeah. And, and, you know, kind of no one else can have the baby. Like I didn't not have interest in my baby. I had way too much interest in my baby. <laughs> and, and it, so it took me a while to even figure out what was going on. And then I was mad. Why, why is, why is only one slice of this being discussed? And why is my OBGYN who has no psychiatric training whatsoever prescribing me a pill? You know, like that was that she was like, oh, here. Yeah, I had it, too. This helped. This worked for me. And she prescribed me a pill, which I had a horrific reaction to and made everything much worse for a little while. When actually what you needed was more time off. Exactly. That's yeah. exactly what I needed. Yeah. You Write needed a prescription to not... for six months. Yeah. Right. And you needed to go through your postpartum adjustment without the dread of knowing mm-hmm. that it's all come into a screaming halt super fast, baby. In fact, my 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 um, OBGYN rounded on me in the hospital after my baby was born, my first child, and she said, "How are you doing?" I was perfect, beautiful child. He was latching, you know, it was horrifically painful, but it was working. And I said, "I," she said, "How are you doing?" And I burst into tears. And she went, "What's wrong?" And I said, "I can't go back to work." That was the day he was born. Oh yeah, it happens that fast. You can't. You can't. You can't. I don't feel like you can fully enjoy one minute of that leave because it, you know how soon it's going to come crashing down. Right. I know. It's torture. And it's torture that about 4 million women go through every year. I mean, probably I've got the numbers way off, but we have 4 million babies born every year. And a huge percentage of those women, you probably know the number. I think it's about half. There's not great data on it, but I think it's about half are going back to work within like three to six months of the baby being born or, or sorry, less than less than six months. Was, women are 47 percent of the American workforce. So, I mean, it's a lot. It's not a niche activity anymore that can kind of be brushed aside. We are 47 percent of the workforce and 40 percent of American households are led by a woman earner. She is either the sole or the primary breadwinner in that house. Right. And and yet we still consider mothers as sort of accessories to the economy rather totally. than totally oh, that's event. a great way to put it yeah yeah we're yeah. add-ons we're working mothers that's right it's optional both right. are both are considered optional which is weird you're choosing to work but also once you're working well you've chosen to have a baby i hear i've heard that a lot lately from you know after giving this ted talk now people kind of come out of the woodwork and tell you their opinions right and i've heard that a lot that like why, why should i pay for your poor planning. If you didn't want to have a, you know, if you didn't want to have this problem and you have a job, then maybe you shouldn't have a baby. Well, Which, let's, let's talk about that TED Talk because it was a really powerful, um, I would say, economic message that most people don't hear. Can you summarize it a little bit? Sure. I mean, we've talked about it already, right? Like you're saying that women are sort of seen and treated as an accessory to the economy, but in fact, we are half of the engine of the economy of this country. 
um, and, and growing. And so, you know, and what you see, you know, more women graduating with degrees than men, and it's, it's only going to get stronger. So the economy needs women to work. This isn't, a, you know, sort of a you can just drop out of the workforce. Forget for a second whether women need to work. Obviously, they do, or we wouldn't be working in such droves. And that 40 percent, you know, woman led household means that the, the majority of women who work have to work from a financial perspective for their families. So but forget them for a second. The economy needs us to work. If we're 47 percent of the workforce and the economy obviously needs us. Um, and But the, the, the thing that we never talk about is that the economy also needs us to have babies. We are tasked with that by virtue of our anatomy. Mm-hmm. And and yes, we do it because we want to and because we have the biological instinct to do so, which I think gets ignored too. Like, like we have the evolutionary instinct to have babies. But, but again, set that aside. If women, working women, if it becomes intolerable to have babies because of the way that this is set up and working women begin to have fewer and fewer babies, we have a problem in 20 years. We have a tax-based problem. We have a social security problem. We have a national security problem from a military who, who is going to serve in the military in 20 years. Um, we have a workforce and innovation problem. An aging population means less mobility and often less innovation. We see it in, in countries that have gone off that that reproduction reproductive cliff that they go into kind of a spiral of, you know, if you have not enough women having babies today, then in one generation, those babies will be adults and there won't be enough of them to have, you know, it sort of geometrically shrinks and shrinks. Uh, And that's actually, that's actually something that we should care about. Um, We're already below the the replacement rate in terms of, of births, you know, immigration is the only thing keeping us stable and growing as a population in the US. We're seeing some of that taking place in China right now. Mm -hmm. Enough so that they've changed their one child policy. Right. Yeah. And quite a bit, you know, in Japan as well. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, it's something we should care about. And then there are, ton- I mean, there's so many other economic arguments I didn't even get into in the talk because I had 15 minutes. You know, you only have, you need to kind of make a, a point and move on. Yeah, um, but- you did it beautifully. And I oh, must say okay. to listeners who don't know what we're talking about, this TED Talk that Jessica did started off with pictures of what women really look like when they're breastfeeding mamas at work. <laughs> and it, And they're not the happy women sitting at the computer with their baby on their lap. They're the women in front of the boardroom with leaking milk marks on their dress. That was fun. That was a fun (laughs) thing to see. I mean, that's the thing is it's so invisible. Yeah. Uh, Anyway, if you want to those listening, if you want to see the talk, just go to YouTube and and type in the American case for maternity leave and it'll come up. Yeah. Um, It's a super good. I'm interested in Jeannie and your take on this. You know, I have so many opinions about this. And lately, what I've been thinking about is, so I went went and I heard Gloria Steinem speak a couple weeks ago in Seattle. And Mm -hmm. she's on tour talking about her new book, which is called, I think, On the Road. And one of the um, people in the audience asked her the question, what do you say to young women who say that feminism isn't relevant to their lives? And she said something that I've actually talked about and written about quite a bit is that many women don't realize what feminism really means to them until they are a mother on maternity leave recognizing what they're going back to. Totally. I mean that the 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 talk about the wage and the wealth gap between men and women the thing that never gets said is actually it's not that big until you become a mother. Right. 
Right. It's, it, the wage gap is between men and mothers, much more than it is between men and women. Right. And that's just financial, but you know, that's yeah. all that, that's yeah. all that gets people's attention. I can't tell you how many young women um, or, or new moms that I've taken care of as a nurse or talked to over the years who really didn't come into this fully until they became mothers and then everything changed for them. Yeah. And, and what's really essential to me is that we don't throw our hands up in the air and say, well, that's just the way it is. You know, we can't change it because in fact, we really can. And we're doing that by having the conversation like you and I are now through your book, your TED Talk, my book, telling women that there is feminism to motherhood and they have to own it. And then we need to go further. I truly believe that if we had equal representation in Congress, then many of these issues would be moot points. Because, you know, right now we only have 20% representation in the House and the Senate. In any level of government, city, state, federal, there's only 20% representation yep. in the United States. If we had even 40% representation, all of those women would be speaking out loud saying, wait a second, this is on and beyond reproductive rights. These are human rights. Women are human. Yeah. I mean, that's what I think, sadly, depressingly, those who are, you know, sort of would like to continue to marginalize issues that affect women, they've done such a good job on making feminism a dirty word um, and a kind of a dirty concept that you don't want to admit to being. Mm -hmm. all, all it means to me, feminism, is saying that just because an issue primarily or exclusively affects women doesn't make it any less valid to think about, talk about, or care about. You know, that's all feminism is to me, is saying mm -hmm. It, it, it just, you know, just because it, it it is our issue doesn't make it not an issue <laughs> that matters and not one to be marginalized. I wrestle so much with this, this political representation thing. I would, I would run for office in a heartbeat if I didn't have children and I have two small children. And so I've got, you know, 15 years, 16 years before I might consider it seriously. Um, and I think that that actually I, I have I have a hard time with that. I'll be honest, personally, because I think I don't know, it just kind of it, it, I do think that there is a kind of maternal instinct in me that might not be there if I were a man that I don't want to be on the road all the time. Um, I think it's important to specify that all of these issues that get titled as women's issues aren't women's issues. They are all of our issues. Right. If, you know, 47% of the economy all of a sudden was able to just give up and stay home because they've decided they're just going to stay home and work, mm -hmm. I mean, be moms, that's going to make a huge impact on everybody. If all of the men out there that are fathers recognized the value of what mothers contribute, I mean, it's a different conversation. Yeah. It's a different conversation. Yeah. yeah. And, and that's why I, I, I hammer the economic data so much because that's what will actually get people's attention. I know. It doesn't, it, people don't pay attention to the moral case for almost anything, it's you know, or, or even the human case that this is our biology and all of biology tells us that, that mothers need time to heal and they need their babies and their babies need them. 
Um, and, and, and fathers too. I don't, I don't mean to, I get, I do get some dinged by some folks who say, why aren't you advocating for parental leave? I am. I think that we need paid parental leave that should be able to be shared between Mm co-parents. Um, and I think that matters very much for same sex male couples, um, where there isn't a mother in the, in the parenthood unit. Mm -hmm. Um, and it matters for co-parents who need to be home and whose, whose partners need them home and whose babies need them. And I, I do think all of that matters. I just I just don't shy away from or run away from pointing out that physically putting a person into the world is messy and hard and that that deserves special consideration. And, I don't think that's actually asking for any favors. And then the best food source for those people we put into the world is attached to our bodies. Sure. Yeah. Right. Oh, there's so much to talk about, Jessica. I know. Yeah. How much longer do we do we have? Because we haven't solved everything yet. <laughs> we haven't solved all of women's <laughs> problems yet. Well, I want to ask you this one question that I like to ask everybody. What's your family like right now? And where are you in your life as a mom? Right now, um, so my, my, my big guy is in kindergarten. My little one goes to a, a 100% Spanish preschool, which is adorable because she speaks like crazy Spanglish at home. Um, and, uh, it's pretty good right now. I've, I've gone back to being self-employed and I don't have any kind of feeling of like, I need to put in FaceTime or I need to be here until this time or that time. If I'm done for the day, I'm done for the day. I go get my kids and we hang out on the street with our neighbors. And, um, so that stuff is actually really nice. I'm also in a panic because I don't really know what my earning life is going to look like in 2016. And that always throws me into a panic. Although I always put myself in situations where that my earning is going to turn over. I'm, I'm sort of, I get bored easily, I guess. Mm -hmm. Um, but it's pretty good. I mean, we're like in a pretty good rhythm right now, but it, it achieving that rhythm required me to totally change my working life. When I was working for Tom's and traveling multiple times a month and flying all over the world, we we suffered a lot. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we all get so darn creative, don't we, during our mothering years? <laughs> We've got so many different hands in the fire and and people that we need to be accountable to. And for a lot of us, it makes us our most professionally creative. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. that's right. I mean, I think I, I don't know. I just think I also think though that we lean maybe a little too much on you know working moms are are even better at their jobs because they're more focused and they, you know, are, are better at productivity. And sometimes we're crappier at our jobs, frankly. Sometimes our kids had an ear infection and we're exhausted and, you know, but like, again, because it's a thing that is, is a woman's thing, it's not looked at it the same in the same way. Somebody said to me, I was giving a talk to a bunch of employment lawyers and somebody in the audience about breastfeeding and work said to me, you know, who's going to cover for you for that person when they're gone for 20 minutes, three times a day, who's going to do their work? I know who me and was really, it was a woman, which always never ceases to surprise me. And I said, okay, but you know, what would you do if a coworker of yours broke his leg, you know, or like was hungover (laughs) or suffered from depression or was diagnosed with cancer or, you know, any number of things that happen in our lives because we're not robots. Um, you know, what, would you still be complaining in the same way? Or is it because it's a woman and because you have framed it as she has chosen to have a baby and she has chosen to breastfeed that baby and she's chosen to work and et cetera. I mean, I I just don't understand it because I don't hear that rhetoric about any of the infinite other things that might slightly interrupt or alter 
how and when we work. Right, right. Yeah. But because it's a mom thing, Mm -hmm. it becomes denigrated. Yep. Yeah. And I even find that from within the, uh, not everyone by any means, but within the breastfeeding community, there is some of that. I hear from a lot of working women who can't find a local support group that doesn't meet during the work day, uh-huh. you know, during a kind of, I know you, you worked night shifts, there is no one work day, but for a lot of women, it's, you know, sort of nine to five, sure. eight to six, whatever. Sure. And, they, and a lot of women who say, I can't, I can't find a, a support group that doesn't meet during the day. And the subtle message to me there is good moms are at home during the day. And that's why we meet at this time. Right. Um, I think there's a lot of erasure of pumping and of working breastfeeding women in breastfeeding imagery where it's all about being snuggled up with your baby, which we would, well, not all of us, some of us like being exclusive pumpers, but which many of us would love, love to do all day long, but we don't. And there's kind of like a second class citizenry message built into that. That really bugs me. Yeah. It's, it's pervasive. It's on all levels. You know, I'm, I'm aware when somebody says something like soccer mom or mom jeans, you know, Uh we have all of these, pervasive words and images and concepts around motherhood that, I mean, nobody ever says soccer mom in a good way. They're not saying, oh, she's wearing mom jeans because that is her finest appearance. (laughs) It's a way to put women down. Yeah. Yeah. And this is the feminism of motherhood, you know, and so many women, they have their babies, they go through this tumultuous event and then all of a sudden, oh, I'm second class. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm no longer the woman that I was. Now I'm somebody's mom. Therefore, right. I'm less. It's, right. Yeah, and people don't get it. And I know that a lot of people are going to listen to this and say, you know, they're going to troll it. They're going to say that that's not true. That's not how we, you know, we lo- America loves their mothers. Yeah, not so much. Yeah, yeah, the rhetoric is there. Um, but when it comes down to actually doing, you know, doing the work, we're kind of on our own. Right. Right. It's a lot of work ahead of us. And again, I think that it's going to take all of us to raise our voices, keep the conversation going and, you know, raise awareness to people who have no idea. I mean, I really think that your book and your TED talk are going to change minds because people are going to look at it and go, I had no idea. I think telling telling individual women's stories is so powerful mixed with data yeah. I have this woman who I don't know. I belong to, you know, one of the myriad Facebook, you know, parents, moms, breastfeeding groups I belong to. And, and, and I belong to this one that is just fantastic because there it's a, like very um, profanity tolerant and kind of hilarious people that are just trying to get through the day while being parents, mothers and fathers. It's called One Bad Mother, if anyone wants to oh, join. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Really great Facebook group. Um, and um, I, I posted that my TED Talk. And a woman on there who I don't know commented and said, you know, I have kids and my dad didn't, he was not phased at all by how quickly I had to go back to work after having my kids. But I showed him your talk and he is a small business owner, 25 people, and he's now researching whether or how to implement paid leave. And I was blown. I mean, yeah, I sobbed, baby. sobbed at my desk. I mean, again, I don't think that the market can solve all of this, but in the meantime, that's fantastic. And I think that comes from sharing actual stories from you know as uncomfortable it is as it is saying to people we are we are forcing women economically back to work while they are still bleeding why are we okay with this yeah 
because the economy is more important than family values, real family. But values. I mean, what's fascinating about it is that 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 this is about the economy. Mm-hmm. Maybe it's about some short term, you know, political gain. But but healthy babies are important for the economy. Healthy women are important for the economy because we make up half the workforce. Right. Like all, all of this actually actually does have an economic basis. Um, we just we've just been told it doesn't. Right. We've been told that it, it it costs too much. And my answer to that always is we are already paying for it. Well, those um, are pretty powerful closing words, Jessica. <laughs> We're already paying for it. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for coming. Was this on the super podcast. depressing? I don't I think, think so. <laughs> I don't think it was super depressing. Do you want to add something super uplifting for for a closing oh, line? I wish I had something. I mean, what what I will say is that that I think maybe you are too. I'm seeing more and more women and men speaking up about this and feeling for the first time like maybe something might change. Yes. I think it, you know, in the political current political climate, I think we've got a little ways to go, but People are actually feeling like we might we might be able to speak up and do something. Well, I believe that inevitably progress moves forward. That's right. And we we could rest on thinking that we're in a holding pattern because we're seeing so many challenges to reproductive rights. Um, but progress moves forward. Yeah, yeah. that's right. It's yeah. the you know the the arc of justice is is long but it it, or the arc of the moral universe is long but it bends toward justice yes it does we just got to take a deep breath and keep chugging along yeah okay mama i'm gonna let you go thank you thank you thank you thank you and um listeners go check out the book check out the ted talk and i'll um add information at the end of this podcast on where you can find all of that Thanks, Jessica. We'll talk soon, okay? Thank you so much. Okay, bye-bye. Mama said there'll be days like this, there'll be days like this. Mama said, Mama said, Mama said, there'll be days like this, there'll be days like this. My mama said, I went walking. My guest today was Jessica Shortall, author of Work, Pump, Repeat, the new mom's survival guide to breastfeeding and going back to work. You can see more of Jessica's work at jessicashortall.com. Common Sense Pregnancy and Parenting is produced by Alex Ward at Sounds Like Pictures Studios in Portland, Oregon. You can find my book, Common Sense Pregnancy, on Amazon.com, Barnes & Nobles, and everywhere books are sold. You can see more of my work on my website, genefaulkner.com. If you have questions, email me, gene at genefaulkner.com. Thanks for joining me on Common Sense Pregnancy and Parenting Podcast, and please subscribe, share, and leave a rating on iTunes if you feel like it. Thanks for joining me. We've got a lot more to talk about. Mm